No, but like, damn, uh, Justin Bieber is going on Instagram Live again. He's like going on. Uh, should we jump on that instead? I think we should. Anyways, um, we are back. Ball and roll, pick and pod. Not a lot to discuss again. That was a bad intro. Eh. It's 2020. We've canceled 2020 already. I just saw on my phone that Justin Bieber was on Instagram Live. Yeah, but technically I'm in 2021. So 2020 is canceled. Um, yeah. I don't even care no more. Whatever happens this year. it's. I think it's a moment where I, I should literally hibern- start hibernating. I'm not going to well, leave my room. Just cocoon. Well, honestly, actually, um, there has been no um, evidence of like in human history of just mass hibernation. Um, but I feel like if all of us as a human race enter hibernation for two weeks, once we finish that two week hibernation period, coronavirus will be gone. I'll be a butterfly. You're, Cause you you're, know, I cocooned uh, as a caterpillar and then uh-huh. I come out like a butterfly. You know, dude, you've been a butterfly for a long time now. Deadass, man. Honestly, though, like, I feel like, you know, I feel like a butterfly. I feel like a peacock. You know, that's 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 completely two different animals. Well, nah, but like, you know, it's 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 a hybrid of I I know they're complete. First of all, butterfly ain't an animal. My guy, if you're going to fact check me, get ready to get fact checked back. Well, well, this is they're two. They're in two different animal kingdoms. One's an insect. And one's a bird. They're not. I don't think. No, they're not in the animal kingdom. Of course they are. They're two different species. Well, yeah, they're two different species, but they're no, all under. They don't uh, classify as an animal kingdom. Dude, you want me to pull out my grade two bio notes? Dude, Google. Uh, yeah, but you know, by the time, butterflies. Dude, it's. Yeah. I think they're all part of like animalia or animalia. And then there's like six different like subsections. So there's like mammal, birds, reptiles. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I know animals, but butterflies ain't animals. Yeah, well, they're insects. What do you mean? Insects are animals. They're just like a subset of animals. Nah, like there, there's yeah, mammals. Is it true? Nah. Wait. So they're wrong. Wait, you wrong? No, no, I'm wrong over here. Wait, but so I'm you, still gonna stand by my point. Butterflies ain't no animals. Well, well. Yeah. A tiger, an animal. I'm an animal. You okay. ain't an animal. Dude, we, uh, took a, dude, we took a weird <laughs> avenue to start this episode. I don't know where this is going. Dude, did you just find out that insects are animals? On I, this mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Should we move on? Yeah, I think it's about time. Uh, but you did mention that 2020 has been pretty shitty. But I, I dare say there have been some good moments in 2020. And uh, yeah, like Patriots securing a fourth round draft pick. There's that. that. Yes. There's out, that. Out of thin air. Like they, they converted air into a fourth round draft pick. Well, I mean, if air is a Gronk. Who's I mean, he was retired. Yeah, I guess. Um, literally traded a guy who's partying, selling CBD products. And uh, he was recently on WrestleMania. Yeah. You traded him for a fourth round pick. That's so. I don't know. It's pretty good. Yeah, and like, here's my follow-up question: Gronk wanted a championship at WrestleMania, so does he relinquish that now? Do they have to? I don't know. What would he have to? I don't know what championship he won though, but he did he won win a the champ- Royal Rumble one, right? Like the big one, the big WrestleMania one. 
No, he didn't. No, dude, Royal Rumble and WrestleMania are. Two I know, no, but no, no. Oh my god, I'm I'm about to come over there and smack you in the goddamn head right now, boy. But the big, the big the six foot distance. Oh my god, I don't even care. Like, you, I'm oh, rich. I'm so close to smacking you in the back of your head. Like, well, I'm like five seconds on t- uh, take taking the car, gassing it up, coming all the way to King City, violating every social distancing rule to smack you in the back of the head. Anyways, no, it's the big one, basically, because he came out, oh, he was supposed to be an announcer for that fight. So he was a WrestleMania, but I don't know what, like, there, there was a title that he won. You know, we can literally Google this. Then do it. Fine. Yeah, anyway, oh, right. my Lord. One second. How's your day been? Oh, man. My day's been, my day was good. My day was good. What did I do? So, you know, the usual stuff, you know, did a little bit of uh, protein shakes here and there with low shoulder workouts. Um, learned a little bit of piano. I've been doing that a lot lately. Um, and then had some work, did that. Uh, and then just researched about today's topics. That's about it, man. What about you? What's popping? Um, you know, just did a lot of work. Um, got a quick workout in earlier today. Yeah. I'm going to second workout a little later. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been, I've been good, man. Like I'm, I'm trying to stay positive throughout all of this because I know there's a lot of negativity everywhere you look. So I'm just trying to remain optimistic. I'm thinking that the season's going to be back. I'm thinking that MLB season's going to be back. I'm thinking I'm going to see you at some point and you won't be smacking my neck. Oh, no. so. First thing I'm doing when I'm seeing you is smacking you in the back of your head. Many reasons. One, being the whole Patriots thing. Second, uh, being... I'm uh, sure I've said some stupid shit over the past like oh, month my and a half. Yes. Uh, but, like, um, oh, The Last Dance. Last Dance just dropped, right? Before the first episode even aired, you're like, up in arms defending my, uh, LeBron James. Of course. I will defy until the day I die. This has nothing to do with LeBron. Wait, 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 wait. That's actually good that you brought that up because I wanted to mention the last dance before we get into the main thing we were going to talk about today. But before we do that, so Gronk won the 24-7 championship. Mm -hmm. So like I'm reading here and what that is means that. Is it a fight that lasts forever? That means you have to be ready to. No, but that means you have to be ready to defend the title. Anytime, anywhere, as long as a WWE referee is present. So with Gronk coming back to the NFL, what if he gets laid out by a hit? Lights turn out, like lights turn off wherever the Bucks play, and you hear like a gong. Undertaker comes out, a referee runs out onto the field, and Undertaker pins him in the middle of the field, back at Gillette Stadium, and Undertaker wins twenty. The twenty. It won't be in Gillette. Well, no, he's going to come back and play at Gillette, and it's yeah. going to happen right there. Yes, that's true. Oh, ooh. Ooh, that would be kind of poetic. That would be. That's kind of beautiful. I'm, that, I'm, honestly, I'm down to see this. Maybe that's why he came back. I mean, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I could see a lot of uh, things working over here. Uh, you know, one last hurrah with uh, Brady before he finally calls it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Brady and Gronk arguably has one of the best connections in any sport. They're one of the best one-two duos in well, any not, sport ever played. 
not even sports, just like human connection. Yeah, I guess. But then no, we're talking about sports over here, Rich. But yeah. yeah, yeah, human connection as well. But when it comes to like, you know, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, all these guys, like there, there is Brady, Gronk. They just have that connection. When it comes to clutch moments, they're able to deliver no matter what, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I could totally see why he's doing it. Also, he's coming down to Tampa. Where you got OJ, uh, who's going to be sitting back a little bit. You got Chris. You got Mike Evans. So it'll be fun to watch, see what happens, man. Bruce Arians, I feel like they're going to have a good time this year. Yeah. So also, I, I, I'm i on the Justin Bieber Instagram live. So he's he's back in Canada, it seems. Dude, his garage is bigger than my house. I mean, yeah. This guy's net worth is what? Like half a billion? What's his net worth? I have no idea. Check Justin Bieber. Um, but yeah, other than that, dude, like there's been some good stuff in 2020. Oh like yes. 285 million, and he's 25. That's insane. That's I'm 25. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna mention my network. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, dude, other than like everything horrible going on in the in the world, like there's been some good stuff coming out on Netflix. Love Is Blind was a banger. Tired. Yeah questionable but you had to talk about it to feel like you're part of society and now it's too hot to handle yes dude great that show was awesome incredible mind-numbing what's that it's mind-numbing oh i know like the thing is that okay so one thing everybody needs to know before watching shows like this is that that's not reality it is nowhere close to reality people go into it seeing thinking they can get life lessons from this or you know they're gonna get relationship advice from this but nope hard nope all these people they need professional help like psychiatrists that's what they need but you know this is good entertainment so just watch it as a good joke like the girl Haley. Haley is so dumb. She is so dumb. But you know she's hilarious to watch. A guy like Kells, he's funny. Sharon, like all those guys, man. It's a good show. And Harry, I hate Harry. Harry is so toxic and manipulative. I don't want no part of Harry. And Francesca, don't even get me started on Francesca. So manipulative too. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm I'm all in on Sharon and uh, and Rhonda. Sharonda. Sharonda, dude, I'm so mad that I'm watching this show, but I love it. I can't stop. And I'm going to finish it today. Oh, it's so stupid. stupid. It's so good. It's so good. It's, yeah, it's so stupid, but so good. It, exactly. And, and I don't, dude, like, it can't, it's not scripted. It's reality TV, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's reality TV. But the Just, thing is that with reality TV shows, producers manipulate it, right? They, they set up certain things just so they add a little bit of drama and right. heat it up. So they control a lot of the narrative. Uh, even things like um, uh, Love is Blind, right? Um, yeah. Barnett was recently on KFC Radio on Barstool. And he was talking about how there's a lot that happened behind the scenes that we didn't see. So the producers yeah. control a lot of the narrative, basically. Yeah. I saw uh, Mark was on... on um part of my take and he said like the producers kind of gave them a, a bunch of the stuff they had to say because they had like psychologists who study relationships figured out that these are the things you should t- say when you talk with a with a person of the opposite gender damn so, yeah so just say but, like hi how are you yeah but it's like yeah. Well, I'm just like watching this show and I'm like how how do you interact with people like this I, I, I personally don't want to. If I was in that room with uh, Haley, 
or Francesca, I would have no, like I can't be a part of that conversation. No, it's feminists are probably like <laughs> for that. Dude, Kels Kels is awesome. So Kels first episode, he's like, I'm a lion and I go for my prey, and I'm just like That's that's uh that's rape. I'm like <laughs> We don't do that. We don't. We shouldn't uh, describe the opposite gender as uh, prey ever. Then you would become a predator. Uh, yeah. There is also another famous uh, predator recently, Harvey Weinstein. So, like, let's just leave it there. <laughs> but speaking of all these documentaries, another big documentary that just hit was The Last Dance. Rich, you yeah. saw the first two episodes. What were your thoughts? I liked it a lot, dude. I like. Um, it's kind of what I expected it to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, I, I I thought it was great. Um, it seems like what's his face? Um, Michael Jordan. No, no, the GM Jerry. Jerry, what's his last? Christ, Christ, Christ. Yeah. So it looks like he's like gonna be the villain of this entire docu series, and he's. I mean, he he died, so he can't really defend himself, and he they're making him look really really bad in this uh, documentary, but. He didn't. He didn't look good. I expected oh my Michael Jordan. Yeah. What? Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Like, I, ex- I expected Michael Jordan to be portrayed how he's being portrayed, which is like a god, and obviously he was a god. I, I like how they, uh, especially in the second episode, how they gave some shine to Scottie Pippen because I feel like a lot of people nowadays kind of forget about how important Scottie Pippen was to that team. And they kind of, um, they kind of brush him under the rug a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like Michael Jordan never won without Scottie Pippen. Like Scottie Pippen was so vital. Like there was a at one point during the second episode, they said how he had the second most points, second most assists, second most rebounds, first uh, first most uh, steals during that like era of too. Yeah, first yeah. during the era of Chicago Bulls basketball, but had the sixth lowest, uh, the sixth highest salary on the team, and it just nowadays when we think about Michael Jordan, we we just call him so, and, we, and obviously he is great, and we just worship him for being a god and being six and zero, but we just forget how important Scottie Pippen was to that team, and it's good that they gave him that that spotlight because. When, Michael Jordan left the left the Bulls to play baseball. The Chicago Bulls still won fifty games. Mm-hmm. You know, no ring though. No, no, no ring though. But I'm just saying, like Scottie Pippen was incredibly important. Like when sure. Scottie was hurt during the last season, they started off mm-hmm. four and four. Like they were struggling. Like there was a lot of talk about what's going on. They're a great team. They're not. They're not used to losing like this, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that they put an emphasis on Scottie Pippen because he's like nowadays he, it, we, we put Michael Jordan on a pedestal, but failed to really elevate the teammates he's had. It seems, mm-hmm. I mean, but no, I other, I... Dude, other than that though, I, I liked it a lot. Like Michael Jordan was an absolute monster and he was a God. Like he became an icon more than a basketball player. And I think they're doing a good job of showing that. No, I, I agree, dude. Like, uh, the thing is that um, even Michael in this documentary said, you know, if you're going to talk about Michael Jordan, you have to talk about Scottie Pippen. Like, he is fully understanding of the fact that he's not the only one who got the ring. 
Because yeah. people forget that before Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan was there for quite some time. Scottie was drafted when? 80, 87, right? 87? Yeah. Uh, Jordan was there since 80, 84 onwards. But even then, like, Scottie's help is what caused for them to go up. Scottie yeah. was a guy who was there to do the dirty work, you know, um, play play defense, dive after balls, uh, jump after loose balls that uh, Michael would miss, things like that, right? Like, Scottie – but Scottie – arguably during that time was the second best player in the league. Yeah. And the one thing I don't like is that people going after Michael Jordan and the Bulls for not giving Scotty the money that he deserved. You got to understand Scotty was told while he was signing that seven year, $18 million contract that, Hey, um, I wouldn't sign this if I were you. Right. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't sign this up if I were you. But Scotty, you know, he had a lot uh, on his plate. So therefore, he he just secured the longevity, that security for the seven years. That was his biggest concern. So he did that. So I, I mean, like, it's no one's fault at, at the end of the day. He just did what he had to do. And the team did what he what they had to do. It's a business move at the end of the day. But I mean, I loved I loved the way they were talking about um, they were skipping between different eras, talking about the 80s basketball with like artist Gilmore and stuff like that over there, where uh, when Michael Jordan initially came about how he was bullied year one and uh, it was Scotty when he was bullied year one type thing and uh, about how when Michael Jordan walked into that room what was it what was it the uh, part cocaine party or something like that traveling cocaine party or something that was the funniest thing in the world Uh, and also talking about Jerry Krause right I get it I get it his he was an amazing GM like let's not take that away from him he put together a team that won uh, six uh, six rings yeah. Uh, in one uh, one decade. That's insane. I don't yeah. think any other GM has done that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to go all the way back to the bottom. Yeah, Celtics. I guess. Uh, Celtics time. But if, even then, like, I, I guess his ego got a little bit bigger than uh, what should have been. And you said this many times to me, Rich, where, you know, a good GM is somebody that you don't hear from. And you heard a lot from Jerry Krause when it came to all the TV reportings talking about coaches when he said, you know, it's not just players and coaches that win uh, championships. It's the whole organizations. I'm I'm tr- I'm sure that's true. But when you're working with Eagles like Michael Jordan and all these guys, that's the last thing you have to say because you're going to hurt these egos. You got to shut up and just accept the rings and the paychecks. That's it. And telling Phil Jackson that, that it's, it's his last year when Michael Jordan is the best player in the league one of the best players to ever play in the league of basketball it says that i won't play for anybody other than uh, phil jackson and you're still like this is going to be our last year that's that's an ego trip at that point yeah. <laughs> like, so i mean i i loved i loved the docuseries and i love the way the format that they're releasing it as well two a week you know it's not just you're getting one episode and it's like ah I wish there was another one to binge as well. They're they're putting out two, so you're still getting like a full night of watching, and then still there, it's spread over five weeks, right? So uh, I'm pumped. I'm from, pumped for the next next two. Supposedly, one of the episodes is going to be about Dennis Rodman. So oh, that's going to be a it's going to be fun. So I think they're going to highlight every single um, factor which uh, helped them get that ring in the last year or throughout their dynasty right so i'm excited to see what what's about and apparently um you think jerry Krause looks bad uh it's said that isaiah thomas looks like the worst person throughout this documentary so i'm curious to see how that's gonna happen the beef he had with michael jordan i was actually yeah. shocked i was shocked to see isaiah thomas in like the very first episode yeah 
Yeah, but see, Isaiah is such a cool dude, though. Isaiah Thomas, he just comes across as a really cool dude. I don't know what he's like personally, but from what you see uh, him on like a social media, not a social media, uh, in, in in the public eye, he just seems like a very cool dude, like a cool uncle that always comes by and checks on you and things like that. Like he seems like a very cool guy. Yeah. But uh, you forget that he was part of the Bad Boy Pistons, you know, who were who were some of the one of the meanest teams to ever play the game. So I'm curious to see how the behind the scenes things that happened between Detroit and Chicago, because you saw the behind the scenes things between Chicago and Boston. Right. Which was the coolest thing. Like during a playoff series, Michael Jordan went golfing with Danny Ainge like the day before a game, which. You know, you don't really hear too much of that. So that's that. That was really cool. The fact that they were able to show that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And the thing with uh, Jerry Krause, like, yes, he was a great GM, and you have to be a good GM to win six championships. Yes, uh, but it seems like he just couldn't get. He couldn't check his ego at the door. Yeah, every yeah. everybody understands. Obviously, having a generational talent like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen help you win a championship. Mm -hmm. But we all understand that the GM does his work, the coaching does his work, the player development does his work, the medical staff does their work then, well, they didn't have analytics back then, but Mm -hmm. the scout departments do their work. Like it's, it's a team. That's why everybody gets the ring afterwards. But I mean, the purpose of everyone is to, put the best product on the court and, mm-hmm. and have them win that championship. for you. So yeah, you don't really say that publicly, you know, Oh, oh but, man. But yeah, and it was also, it was also cool to see how Michael Jordan didn't even make, like you, you, you heard the story, how he didn't make his, uh, uh varsity team in high school. And then, yeah, and, Honestly, like I forgot that Michael Jordan was so skinny. Like he was six six one ninety. He's scrawny. So I'm guessing, like back in high school, he was just absolutely tiny. Didn't make the team, and then just went through an insane growth spurt. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that, dude, ball back then, it was a lot of skinny dudes. Mass wasn't really important, right? I mean, it was important when it came to, like, centers, but when it came to, like, small forward shooting guards, stuff like that, even Scottie Pippen, he was what? Like, he was 6'5 and 190. Was he really? Yeah, he was 6'5, 190 coming into the draft, which is, like, you know, coming into university at that time. Well, and it, That's different, though. I mean, like, Michael Jordan was 6'6, 190. That was what he played at. Like oh, the, like in in NBA. That's like he was that's fun. Yeah, that's real skinny. So that's why I'm saying that I'm guessing he didn't make his junior varsity team because like if he was 190, 195, 66 in in his playing during his playing career, like imagine what he what was like in grade nine before his growth spurt. Like yeah. Scottie Pippen was six eight two ten. Like that's I mean, it's not bad. Yeah, no, but. but it, it's it's insane though. Like when, um, I mean, the coach de- made the best decision. I, I'm sure he made the best decision for his team because according to Michael Jordan's size, right? But you know, yeah. thinking about it, like even even just even like ten years after that, being yeah. like, oh man, I passed up on Michael Jordan. I didn't make let Michael Jordan join the team. Like you got it's something to think about. It's hilarious. Yeah. Also, can we just acknowledge the fact that. Dude, I feel so bad for the Blazers. They had the chance. In my in my mind, 
between Kevin, like Kevin Durant and Michael Jordan, are two of the top five greatest players to ever play mm-hmm. basketball. Yes. And they had a chance to draft both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's but dude, that that that's that's the great reason why we're doing a lot of redrafts uh, on our next few episodes, where yeah, we're gonna but, go through some of the historic drafts and see. Damn, what was this team thinking? I, you know what? Like the teams at that time, they're probably addressing what they need to be addressed, right? They need a big man. So then they're like, okay, you know what? Michael Jordan might not be our guy. But they went with uh, Clive, uh, Clive Frazier then, right? No, no, no. Clyde Drexler. Clyde Drexler. No, no, no. Yeah. So, no, no, no. No, because they already had Clyde Drexler for a while. He was with, she was like a star, like a generational star with Portland. And they drafted Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie, Sam Bowie. That's what I meant, Sam Bowie. Because they already had Clyde Drexler, and then they said, you know, why do I, why do we need another, um, you know, shooting guard or anything like that? So they got Sam Bowie. Now Hakeem Olajuwon went one, which yeah. made sense. But um, nobody expected Michael Jordan to be who he was. No. Even but, even the people in Chicago Bulls didn't expect it until the first few practices. Yeah, and like here's the thing, like this is why I feel bad for Portland specifically. Like Hakeem went one, nobody had a problem with that. Like you you heard it in the episode, like they said everyone was going to pick him one. Like even if Chicago got the first pick, they would have. Yeah, you know, and Hakeem Olajuwon became a generational center. Yeah, and. With the Portland pick, they already had Clyde Drexler, and Clyde yes. Drexler is a Hall of Fame shooting guard yeah. and needed size. So they yeah. passed up on Michael Jordan to get a big man because they didn't want to. Because honestly, dude, it would probably rub their the greatest. Clyde Drexler at that time was the best player in that team's history. Imagine yeah. if the team goes in, they have a top pick, and they pick a guy who plays the same position. Same position, That's exactly. Some You're rich. At the end of the day, a rookie is. Uh, sorry, you cut out for a little bit. My bad. Yeah, yeah. And at the sorry, and at the end of the day, like a prospect is still a gamble. It's yes. Like it's like the draft at the end of the day will always be a crapshoot. So you never know what it's gonna what even Michael Jordan was gonna turn out to be. You could have been a complete bust, and then you just rub Clyde Drexler the, the wrong way. And yeah. I mean, same thing back when the. Blazers um, drafted uh, Greg Oden. Like Greg Oden yeah. in college legitimately was a dominant player. And injuries just kind of screwed his career over. And that's why I actually had a question for you mm-hmm. uh, before we get into uh, the redrafting draft stuff. And today we're redrafted 2003 draft, which is honestly like the first draft I could like fully remember watching. One of the greatest drafts of all time. Yeah. But Here's my question for you, mm-hmm. and I want you to to define what a draft bust is for me, because Ugh. because here's the like here's the way I think about it. Like we call Greg Oden a bust, we call guys like Adam Morrison a bust, but mm-hmm. me, I, I just I don't want to call them bust because before the injury, like they were supposed to be really good. Like Greg Oden was, yeah. lo- you know. So like uh, it's not Greg Oden's fault that he had degenerative knee problems. You know, like, no. I don't want to call him a bust because of that. I call Kwame Brown a bust because he went mm-hmm. from high school to the pros. He was healthy and he just didn't fit in. And like, honestly, good. You're probably rich. not been dropped. Yeah. yeah. No, no, you cut out again, man. Oh, man. Yo, you got to get that. <laughs> I got to hook you up with my Wi-Fi dog. 
Yeah, clearly. Uh, don't worry. I saw my guy over. But um, so when it comes to a bust, I think it's just anything that doesn't amount up to the value of the pick, right? When you expect a guy like uh, when it, when you draft anybody in the top top five, let's just say top five. You know, I can't even say top fourteen, but I'm gonna say top five. You want it to be a franchise guy. You want it to be a guy who, who you get a lot out of him over the, over the next few years. And even when it comes to injuries, which I think it, it's completely. Uh, so you can't predict injuries. It's out of control, like out of our control. It's not something that you can, uh, you know, uh, think about or anticipate when you draft the guy. But even with the injuries, I, I still think it's a bust. And when it comes to a guy like, you know, Greg Oden, that's a bust to me. Uh, Andrea Bargnani, that's a bust to me. You know, Kwame Brown, that's a bust to me. Anthony Bennett, that's a bust to me. Like these are number one picks or like top three picks who should have, been the franchise guy over the next few years so yeah. that's what i think is a bust yeah like for me darko milicic are, bust. yeah darko milicic yes but these guys are healthy right like yeah it, like for example like adam morrison his first season was really good like yeah. he had a great first season with the charlotte bobcats back in the day and then tore his acl i believe i think he tore his acl twice in his career but once he tore his acl the first time and then came back, like, he was not the same anymore. Greg Oden barely walked. Like, I feel bad Call Like, I get it. He didn't live up to what he was supposed to be as a first-round pick, as a lottery pick. But to me, I consider a bust as somebody who was taken high and just kept playing and never figured it out in the NBA. <laughs> like, he had all that talent, and it didn't come together. Like, yes. with a guy like Adam Morrison and Greg Oden, they had all that talent, but injuries kind of got in the way. So they, they ha- didn't have the opportunity to put it all together. But when you have guys like yeah. like Kwame Brown, who I'm sure he dominated in high school because look at his size, he just couldn't ever put all of that together on the next level. No, I, I totally agree with you. But the thing is that even with injuries, Rich, I— the hum- human side of me, the, uh, the side with humanity and compassion and all that, says, of course, injuries, you know, you feel bad and it's not a bust. But when you look at a guy like Adam Morrison, right, there was Brandon Roy who was picked uh, after him, who had, I guess, a little bit longer, healthier career than uh, Adam Morrison. A guy like uh, Rudy Gay, who also had a good career as well. Kyle Lowry, yeah, up at 24. Like, all these guys, right, who you could have picked much later, that those were good picks, which panned out to be better picks than Adam Morrison. So to me, a guy who only had one one year of which I think he had, what, 11 points per game or something like that in his first year. But even with that, I think that's a bust. But that draft, the biggest bust, we, are, we all know what the biggest bust of that draft is. And should we say it? It's a primo. Uh-huh. Yeah, primo pasta. Primo pasta. That's right. That's right. So that, that's the thing, right? Bust, unfortunately, when it comes to a business decision, that's a bust because you invest a top pick on it. That's that's a, a, Imagine that as a large capital. You're investing a large capital on this company and um, something out of no control. Like say, say you buy a building, right? And uh, that building collapses because of an earthquake or something. And... You know, the earthquake is not something that you can control, but it happened. So to me, that's a bust. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. So let's start it up. We'll start up with the 
2003 draft. Probably the best. Hall of Famers. Yep. This is the Kendrick Perkins draft. Yeah. Oh, I know. I got him in here. (laughs) Yeah. I have him in here, man. Okay. So, and we're we're just going to alternate. Okay. You can go there. Um, the first one we'll just like kind of cross off the board. We got LeBron, right? Uh, no. Kendrick Perkins. No, Josh. Josh Howard. Okay. No. So, okay. So uh, no, I'm kidding. LeBron. LeBron James. Come on, man. Okay. Le goat. Okay. Start it up at number two. Number two. Number two. Uh, with the Pistons. So this is the one, right? There's two potential picks that you can go over here. But I went with two being Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade. I went with Dwayne Wade. Wade was a very underrated player, even coming into the league as well. Pat Riley kind of took a flyer on him at that point. And the thing is that Wade has the ability and the potential to be the best player on a championship team. But Melo, which he was, Mm -hmm. which he was, right? Multiple times. And Melo... even though he's one of the greatest scorer of all time, right? When it comes to the ISO scoring, Melo is one of the best. Put him in the paint, he's going to score no matter what. But he didn't possess that. And Wade was just like a natural leader and offensive and also somewhat defensive juggernaut as well. And, you know, that's that's why I have Wade at number two going on the Pistons. Yeah, and honestly, that's this was actually the really interesting part for me with this draft. I wanted to see what you would say between Melo and Wade. Because I, I, I take the championships out of the equation here because Dwayne Wade was put into Miami. Yeah. Like, like obviously, Dwayne, both of these guys are Hall of Famers. But yeah. Miami, first-class culture, they, it's, everybody wants to play in Miami. Not many people want to play in Denver. Yeah. Miami is one of the biggest markets in the world. Yeah, and Miami obviously had the players, like they had the coach, they had Pat Riley coaching them, one of the greatest ever. They had Alonzo on the first time, and guys like Antoine Walker and Jason Williams and, J- and James Poe. Like they were all Gary Payton was on that team. Yeah, like they had a lot of good players on that team, and then obviously the second time go around when he was with LeBron and Bosch. So. Yeah. Dwayne Wade had much better teammates, and he was in a much better situation than Carmelo Anthony ever ever has been. Like back in Denver, when George Carl was was coaching that team, they had guys, but they were never a good defensive team. So when I think between Melo and Wade, like between but the two of them, who's the better scorer? For me, it's Melo. Melo, I think. Easily the better scorer. And that, that's not to say that Wade's not a great scorer. I just thought that Melo was a much better scorer. But with me, it's like you said, like Wade was a much better defensive player. Like Wade was a three-time all-defensive team. I think that like that alone was the thing that kind of pushed me to take Wade over Carmelo Anthony. Because I think Carmelo Anthony is offensively one of the most gifted scorers in NBA history. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, go ahead. Who do you have in number three? Well, yeah, then I have, so I took Wade with the, the two because of just his impact on both ends of the court. And then I took Melo at three. That's a solid pick. You can't, that's the thing. Like you can't 
go yeah. wrong with either. But the thing is that Wade just just because we were able to see what his uh, ceiling was, his growth, and see how he attacked the game, right? And we can't kind of uh, ignore the accolades which he's uh, um, kind of built over his whole career. Like that that speaks to his potential when he was drafted, right? But that's the thing. You never know. If Wade ended up on a different team with a different culture, what would have been? But yeah. uh, but based on his growth that we saw, like he would have been the better player than Melo at that point. But yeah, I had Melo at number three. But at fourth, you know, with the wraps, I had Chris Bosch going over there as well. 11-time All-Star, two-time champ. Um, he deserved the spot. He took a little bit longer to develop into uh, the All-Star that he was. But once he w- developed into that, he was just an absolute stud, but I, throughout his prime, he was a secondary player or, th- or tertiary player, uh, on the, on the teams that he was uh, on the team that he was on at that time. But well, well with the Raptors, he was the, no, but his prime, his prime, I think was with Miami heat. No, I'd say his prime began with the Bosch with the, with the Raptors. And then he, no, like, come on, you, you can't, his prime was, he was, what, 24, 25? He was an, yeah, he was multiple, uh, I think he was a two-time All-Star at that point, right? I'm pretty sure. Or no, a few-time All-Star with uh, the Raptors at that point. But let me see, I'm just pulling up the stats right now. I'm going into free agency, he, you could make a case that Chris Bosh was a top-five player in the NBA. Oh, for sure, dude. When he was 25 years old with the Raptors, yeah, no, I agree. Um, You're totally right. He was averaging, what, 24 points per game at that point? I mean, yeah, that was his prime, but I'm I'm just saying, like, uh, prime, I say anywhere from, like, 20 to 30 type thing, right? But And quite a bit of a prime he was spending with Miami as well. And in Miami, he was a secondary or tertiary player over there. But even if he wasn't there, he would have been one of the top players in the league at that time, too. So Chris Bosh is a safe bet at number four. If the Raps have to do it again, it's a solid pick over there. Yeah. No, I I agree. Um, it's kind of crazy because I think Chris Bosh is going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, oh, yeah. How many, how many drafts do you know where the first four guys picked are Hall of Famers? Pretty cool. Um, 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 80, 84. What do you mean? Michael the, Jordan draft, right? Sam well, Bovee. not the, uh, not Sam Bovee, but they had Barkley at fifth, I think. Well, that's not the top four. I know I, that sucks. Well, that, well, four players in the top five. Does yeah. Sam Perkins? He, is, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, right? No, oh. he's not. Oh, no, no, he's not. Okay, but we have what? Lajuan, uh, Jordan, Barkley. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's only a three over there. And yeah. John Stockton much later. Anyways, but yeah, no, I agree. Uh, easily, easily one of the best drafts of all time because top four players, Hall of Fame, uh, multiple time All Stars. Like they're they're absolutely. I had David West. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And at five, I had David West, two time yes. All Star, yes. two time NBA champion. When he was with the with the um, New Orleans Hornets, he was. Yeah. Really good. There was yeah. a point where he was incredible, and then he went over to Indiana, and he gave them that toughness that they needed to become one of the powerhouses in the Eastern Conference back then. Like when they went against the um, Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. Like David West was a huge part of that team, and then he was able to adjust his game when he ended his career with the Golden State Warriors, and was a was a very important piece to their bench, and he won. Won championships there, so yeah. No, yeah, I agree. West West was solid at uh, number five for the Heat. Um, 
Uh, and number six for the Clippers, I'm going with Josh Howard. So Josh Howard, it's it's um so it's kind of an interesting story, right? He was a very talented player, but career was kind of derailed because of injuries and other issues that happened. Um, he had the ACL injuries, hernia surgery, and he also had the drug problems, and he had a drag uh, drag racing charge as well. Things like that. He was just in a lot of mess after the ACL injuries. But in his prime, he was averaging like 20 points per game and seven board boards per game and he had even had one outing i think it was against utah jazz 47 points where he dropped that day um and if it weren't for that and i think it was a one-time all-star too but if it weren't for um uh the injuries you know you never know he could have had all maybe four or five all-star teams he could have had a a longer career right but he was picked 29th by the mavericks that year but number picking him a number six would have been a steal for them yeah sure i i actually had um I had a, uh, Josh Howard a little lower down. I had Chris Kamen at number six. Ooh. So the Clippers them, and I thought it was a good pick for them based on everyone else available. Chris Kamen was really good. He was, Clippers. yeah. He was an all-star, um, more finesse type of big big man. And there was <laughs> little, no, and dude, there is a, a little more long, longev- longevity to his career. Like, yeah, he he's had a like a good stretch of years when he was a solid player. Like there was a his all-star year. And then around that, he had like a bunch of solid years, like mm-hmm. six to seven solid years. I feel with Josh Howard, he had like a very short peak. Yeah. Like he, with his, with his injuries. Um, he just wasn't there for a long time. Like he got up pretty quick and then it just went downhill very quickly. You know, like but that's was the just, thing, right? Uh, if he were on a different team, um, yeah, that, it's, these are all hypotheticals. Like, say if Josh Howard was drafted with a different team, different scenarios. You know, say he didn't get injured, at, he could there could have been a lot of potential there. But I do have Chris Kamen in my top ten. Like he, I agree, Chris Kamen, a very underrated player when it came to uh, his big man number, abilities. Uh, seven. Uh, number seven. Number seven. With <laughs> Chicago Bulls, I have Kirk Heinrich picked again over there. Um, kind of. Before, you had Kirk as well? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a solid pick because before Rose, uh, the core was Dang, Kirk, and Ben Gordon. And, you know, they, they were in the playoffs, I think, after Kirk, uh, Kirk Heinrich's first year uh, with the team. Three years in a row, they made the playoffs, and they were doing well. And the draft before Derrick Rose, they ended up in the ninth place, but somehow they got the number one overall pick that year. But... I mean, throughout his he had a lot, I think it was a 14-year career, averaging 17 points and six assists per game in his prime. And face mask Kirk is absolutely legendary. Yeah, I would take I would take Kirk seven easy. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of like fringe star point guards in this draft. I feel, and we're gonna get into like PJ Ford, Mo Williams, Jose yes. Calderon. Like, there's so many guys who just like were like fringe like on like if they just took a little did a little more they could have like became, become all-stars like mo williams was an all-star once but i yeah. think would kirk heinrich is a guy who's so slept on for what he did the bulls because he gave them a sense of stability at the point guard spot that's a big part of what being a point guard is like he was like you always had that stability he wasn't incredible he wasn't an explosive talent no. Yeah. But he was offensively he was good. He could run an offense. Um, he was a high IQ basketball player, and he was very good defensively. He was a yeah. very good defensive point guard. Something that, as we go down this list and look at all these point guards, most of them were bad 
That's good. Yeah. So I had I had Kurt Heinrich at seven as well. And then I had Josh Howard because I think he was mm. I, I I just think while his peak was very quick, it was because you just mm. couldn't get a lot of his stuff off the court um, figured out and the injuries, like that was probably the big thing for him. Mm. Uh, but he was still a really great scorer. He was in a great system. Like, dude, Dallas Mavericks were so fun to watch back then with mm-hmm. Dirk and Jason Terry, and I believe Jerry Stackhouse was on that team as well. Mm-hmm. They were a fun team to watch, and Steve Nash was there. Uh, it's a shame that Josh Howard had – he was kind of like a flash in the pan. Yeah. He had a couple of years, and then he, everything went downhill. But those couple of years, like, you could see that this guy was – he had star potential in him. He was a mm-hmm. great scorer, and it just – it didn't come together for him off the court for his injuries. Yeah. So, you know, I, I agree, Josh Howard, you never know what could have been if, uh, all the bad things that happened in life didn't happen. Right. And you could say that about a lot of players. Like, you know, we were talking about Greg Oden earlier as well. Say, what if that injury didn't happen? You never know where his career would have been, but, uh, yeah, Josh Howard, it's a good place to be in the top 10. Uh, I, number eight, I actually had Boris Diaw instead of Josh Howard over there. So Boris Diaw was, um, the thing is that he was an absolute stud. He was drafted by the Hawks and I think was later traded on as well. But anywhere from, you know, his caffeine addictions to signing his contract extension on a board where I think there was a clause where he gets an extra $100,000 if he didn't gain over a certain amount of weight and fans bringing him like coffee machines to autograph. Like he, he loves that coffee machine. He had one, I think in his locker room, uh, where that was his little treat every time. But at best, like at, at his best, when he was in shape, Boris Diaw was something similar to what, um, Nikola Jokic is, you know, his wishing and feel for the game was completely unique for no. the, the, no, 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 dude. He had an incredible vision. He was a great playmaker for the big man that he was. Okay, sure. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's exactly like Nikola Jokic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's exactly like it. I want you to get that straight. I'm not saying he's Jokic. I'm saying he has the playmaking abilities similar to it. That's sure. all. Sure. In the realm, that's all. I I want you. To, it's all good. It's not a fight. Man, I, was, I, was, I was. I was scared. I was one, scared. Two, three, count, count count to ten in your mind. One, two, three. I need you to calm down. Okay. <laughs> Although I think um uh, the Bucks right the Bucks needed a point guard then. Um, the drafting Dial um, would have helped them a lot when it came to like uh, post distributions and things like that, and setting up Michael Red during that time. So he would have been a great f- pick for the Bucks then. Okay, I didn't have um, <clears throat> I didn't have Boris um, Dial that high. I think he was a good all around player. Um, I get I do get what you're saying with the Nikola Jokic comparison because as a playmaker he was really good. Just Jokic kind of was very good offensively yeah. than creating his own offense too. But I get it. Um, for me, number eight was um, Mo Williams because he had a stretch where he was really, really good at the beginning of his career. Um, Wait, eight or nine? Uh, sorry, I'm just I'm saying at, at uh, number nine. You just nine, did nine. Eight. Yeah, yeah I, did. Yeah. I, I had Mo Williams there. I just think he was a really good scorer um, for a certain stretch of his career at the very beginning. And he was an all-star. He did play really well alongside LeBron James when they were still in Cleveland. Um, so, you know, that when LeBron went to his first ever finals and everybody shits on how LeBron didn't have any supporting cast. And I mean, he didn't really compare to what he was going up against. But I mean, Mo Williams was a really good player. And he had like Zadrius Olgalskis back then, who was a really good player. Stop. Uh, 
So, but yeah, that that's where I had um, Mo Williams at number nine. Nine. That's so, number. Wait, I, I I didn't say my nine yet. So uh, number Did nine. You? No, no, I said number eight, Boris. Yeah. No, but you did number seven, did you? Oh, whatever. We're out of yeah. order. Anyways, it don't matter. We'll just go as it is, man. This is off the dome. This is quarantine talk. There, you know, there doesn't need to be an order in it. So number nine, I had Chris yeah. Kamen over here. Um, so with the Knicks, I think the Knicks they were targeting a big man that year on the draft. So the Knicks took Mike Sweetney that year, but yeah. Mike Sweetney Boy. he spiraled into depression with that team and. Uh, I think he moved over to Bulls, where in Chicago as well, he had a lot of issues. Right now, I think he's he's coaching uh, Jewish University in uh, New York, and also oh. Varsity, Varsity Girls team as well. So shout out oh. to the only guy without a yarmulke on that on that bench. So uh, that's why I had Chris Kamen on number nine over there, and number ten Washington. I had Kyle Korver, who was picked fifty one over fifty first overall by the Jets, maybe by the Nets, by the Nets that year. Uh, Corver ended up being everything for the uh, that the Wizards hoped um, Jarvis Hayes was, and you know when you draft a guy like Kyle Corver, he's one of the top three. Uh, he's one of the top three point assassins in the NBA history. Tireless worker, a player who knew his role and kind of stuck with it. So I had Corver going at ten for the uh, for Washington. Yeah, I, I agree. I had uh, Kyle Corver next on my list as well. I think um, when I think of the three. Like the four best shooters of all time, I have Ray Allen up there, Steph, Clay, Ray Allen, and Kyle Korver. And then, I mean, you can put Reggie Miller in there. But yeah. I, I think Kyle Korver was lethal behind the three-point range, obviously. And there's also that longevity with him. Like he is exactly. still in the like he's yeah. been for a long time. He was an All-Star two once. Mm-hmm. Like he made the All team with Atlanta, the one the. Won like 16 games. Josh so, Mel, Jeff Teague, yeah. Yeah, all Millsap was on that team. Yeah. ISO, uh, Carol. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I, I'm going to go Kyle Culver. Uh, number 10. 11. Had, sorry, 11. Jesus. I had I had Jose Calderon right here. Ooh. Jose okay. Cal- so, Jose Calderon, he was undrafted. Yes. So, he wasn't even there. Um, and I think like with me, it was a toss up between TJ Ford and Jose Calderon and, uh, Jose Calderon. But I just think Jose was just such a perfect point guard. Like back then, like he was a great shooter. I think he leads the Raptors all time in like free throw percentage. Um, great floor general, just the prototypical point guard. And then when, um, when TJ Ford came over, when they, when the Raptors traded, um, Charlie will on the way with to the Milwaukee Bucks for TJ four. Like Jose Calderon took a backseat for TJ four and he was he became one of the best secondary point guards in the NBA at that point. And I'm sure and um also the reason another reason why I put Jose Calderon over TJ Ford is just Jose Calderon played a lot longer. TJ Ford he you could see that he could have been a lot better, but it's kind of similar to Josh Howard. The yeah. injury really bad and like dude tj four minutes and the the last few years of his career it was just you you could see that it's coming to an end like with the raptors a couple years where like you see okay him and bosh can do something together and jose calderon off the bench but 
it just with his injuries it did not work out. But I had Jose Calderon at, at uh, eleven. Eleven. So eleven for me. Um, uh, so for 11, for me, I had Mo Williams. So the Warriors that uh, coming into that draft that year, they lost Gilbert Arenas. They lost Antoine Jameson. And uh, they were lacking a lot of scoring. A guy like Mo Williams coming in, whether it's being a six-man or a point guard or shooting guard or whatever it is, uh, he would have just put up buckets. I think throughout his career, through 13 years of his career, he averaged uh, – what is it, 13 points and five assists per game through his whole career. He would have been a stud at 11, uh, at pick 11 for the Warriors. And for pick number 12 for Seattle, I put, I put the Brazilian blur, Leandro Barbosa. Uh, this would have been perfect. You know, at best, uh, Barbosa was an elite six man, but um, he was he was very quick and he had efficient shots that he always took. Uh, he, he, later on, you saw how valuable he was with multiple teams, especially with a team like uh, San Antonio Spurs as well. But, you, you know, well, coming into it, what's he never played with the Spurs, man. He played with the Suns. Suns, 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 yeah. with the Suns. That's what I meant. With the Suns, you saw his value over there. So um, I would pick uh, Leandro Barbosa at number 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I was thinking between Ford and Barbosa for number 12. I'll put Barbosa at number 12. Because Barbosa, first of all, with the Phoenix Suns, he was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Coming off the bench, he was good. He had a season in which he averaged 18 points per game. Um, yeah. He had a solid stretch with uh, Phoenix. He even went to um, Toronto afterwards, and he played pretty well coming off the bench over there. Like Barbosa had a good stretch where he was really good. And yeah. then I had, I had TJ Ford because um, I think he had, like, if it wasn't for his injuries, he would have had a much longer career, and he would have been a good player. Uh, yeah. Really good with the Raptors. Obviously not an all-star level point guard, but he was really good with the Raptors. And um, kind of sucked that his career ended the way he did because there was a lot more there in the tank, but the injuries kind of fucked him up. So I had, I had TJ. Uh, so Barbosa at 12, just like you, and then I had TJ Ford at number 13. So with 13th, I also had T.J. Ford as well. I totally agree. Before that spinal injury, he was one of the fastest players in the league at that time. Quickness was his strength, and he was an absolute stud. You never know if that injury wasn't there, what would have amounted of his career. So, yeah, T.J. would have been a great pick at 13th uh, for the Memphis. Uh, 14th for the Sonics, I went uh, – so 12th, they picked uh, Leandro Barbosa of Seattle. So they had the 14th pick. So for the 14th pick, um, since they already had a guard – uh, I won with a small forward, Marquise Daniels. Uh, so the thing was, he was he was a solid player. I think. Um, Come back. No, yeah, he he was a solid a steal to get at the 14th. He was undrafted that uh, that year too, but uh, yeah. so he would have been a great fit beside Leandro Barbosa. That's the thing. Okay. It's That's funny that. It's funny that you're going back to uh, like 2003 to assess team needs. You have to. Wait, that not that the whole purpose of this? I'm just going uh, up. <laughs> the way I'm doing it is best available player. Oh, man. But see, the thing with uh, Marquise Daniels, which was interesting, right? Like, um, he was signed, I think it was late November of that year, coming undrafted, right? And he only played 56 uh, games that season. And in the 56 games that he played, he still made the second team all-rookie, which is insane. The fact that he did that. So, yeah, no, he would have been solid over there. 
Okay. Um, let's see. 15. So, magic. Okay, wait, but you, you did 14. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you got to say 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had um, Ed Boris DL at number 14. So I Boris DL was an incredible role player. He was... Yeah. He was an important piece in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Boris DL was just like a very steady and consistent forward for yeah. many, many years. Um, but anyways... Let's see. Moving on, um, I actually had um, Luke Ridnour. So Luke Ridnour, he played with the uh, Seattle Supersonics for a pretty long time. I think that was the only team he played for other than, I know he was in Orlando. I don't remember where else he played, but Luke Ridnour, he was like kind of how I mentioned when we were talking about Kirk Heinrich. There's a lot of guys who just were like nice and good point guards, just Kirk Heinrich had that defensive edge on them. I think Luke Ridnour just kind of falls into that group with like the Jose Calderons, the TJ Fords, um, even the Barbosas. So I think Luke Ridnour is going to be my um, 15th, I guess. Yeah, 15th by the Magic at that point. There we go. Like he, good, he was a nice scorer, mm-hmm. good point guard. I mean, now we're getting into the area of the draft where um, we're not going to see stars, even though there's a ton of them in this draft. Yeah, no, the thing is that, I mean, you're not going to get LeBron James or Carmelo or anything like that, but you're going to see some notable role players who ha- left their impact on some pretty big teams. So that that's a thing. But in 15th with Magic, I went with uh, Mikhail Petrus. He was picked by Warriors uh, at the 11th spot that year. But uh, Mikhail Petrus, I think he was a great 3 and D guy with the Magic to, uh, uh, and actually helped the Magic get to the 9 finals. But if he would have gotten there a little earlier, he would have been able to play with Tracy McGrady and also um, developed underneath him. And you never know with that sort of uh, mentorship whether he could have uh, improved his game a little bit, a little bit more. So that's what, who I had number fifteen uh, for the Magic. Number sixteen I had uh, for the Boston Celtics, Jose Calderon. So I think Pierce he needed a point guard that year to assist him a little bit more. And that's what Celtics, they were going into there. I, they traded, uh, they had a uh, trade that night, which brought over a guard and Kendrick Perkins. But if they had picked Jose Calderon at that point, who was undrafted, he was, you know, a very efficient three point shooter. Uh, he had four years, four different seasons where he averaged more than eight, uh, eight assists per game. Um, he would have played right into that system. Uh, so that's what I have going number 16 to the Celtics. Um, I had another shooter at number 16, so I went with, uh, Jason Capono. So you just did 16. Ooh. Yes, yes, yes. I just did 16. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I had Jason Capono, even though he was kind of trash when he came with the, to the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, he was horrible when he came to the Raptors. Um, with Miami, he was one of the, be- he was the second best shooter in this draft. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, every team needs a shooter. So mm. I'm going to go with Jason Capono because that's a guy who could fit on pretty much any NBA championship team because everybody needs a shooter. Mm-hmm. Pair him with Pierce and Garnett 
And yeah, no, that would have been good because anyone anyway, if they did end up, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know how they would have still ended up bringing over um, Kendrick Perkins that year because you know Kendrick Perkins was the X factor of their oh, championship yeah. run. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so huge factor. So, who do you have at number seventeen to the Phoenix Suns? So at number seventeen, I had another point guard, uh, kind of like the same trend that we've been seeing with like Ridenour and Calderon and TJ Ford. Now I had Steve Blake. Uh, yes yes queen yes queen yeah so steve steve blake he he never put up numbers but like i remember watching him when he was with portland and he was like that steady presence it's kind of like kind of like kirk heinrich just without the defensive edge like and without 16 points per game he wasn't the same scorer but he was steady like he was there when brandon roy was there when lamarcus aldridge came in he was a good veteran and then he went over to the lakers when they had a bunch of young guys and they were stupid and I think he, he won a championship with the Lakers before, like, everything yes. apart. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm going to go with Steve Blake. I thought he had a really good, long career, and he always had a role. So, yeah, no, the thing is that um, that ability, year— He could score a little bit. He could shoot. So, there we go. I know Steve Blake would have been a great pick over there. Um, but I think Steve Nash later on came about into that theme and he was much more of an impact, but I, I Steve Blake would have been a steal over there, but they ended up picking that year was Zarko Chabar Kapan, Chabar Kapan or something like that. But he had a, he played with Phoenix and golden state warriors, I think throughout four years in total, uh, but he was absolutely useless. But, but in that spot, I would have picked a guy like Kendrick Perkins and that was before the Mike D'Antoni kind of uh, running gun type of offense, where he would have still fit in, in the Suns' uh, play style. And pairing him and Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire, that would have been a tough defense to go up against. So that's who I had at number 17 for the Suns. Yeah. Number 18 for the New Orleans Hornets. Um, since David West was already taken at that point, the next best pit, uh, pick to pair up with a guy like Chris Paul was a Uranus Haslam. Haslam was a, a, a gritty big man when undrafted. He was a, uh, he's a Miami lifer. He's originally from Florida, so that's why you know he has an attachment with Miami. But coming in and playing with Chris Paul, you never know if he would have uh, elevated his game a little bit more. But uh, that's who I had going number 18. Okay. I um I had Kendrick Perkins at number 18. Like okay. I think Kendrick Perkins when he was with the Boston Celtics, he was a crucial part to that team. As much as we make fun of him for the way he runs the floor and how like slow-footed he was, he was a really good defensive anchor over there with alongside Kevin Garnett. And there was even a season where he averaged 10 points per game. Like this guy like he had like there were times when he kind of scored even though he never really did. But I, I'd say Kendrick Perkins. He was a good leader. He was a good veteran. And he was a good defensive anchor for those teams. Um, I, so I liked the Udonis Haslam pick. I had Udonis at number 20. But at number 19, I had Dante Jones. Ooh, Dante! <laughs> so Dante Jones, while he wasn't a great scorer, um, he could every now and then score a three, but he was consistently a really good defensive player throughout his career. And that's what helped him maintain his just job for, I think he played over over a decade. Like he was the guy who would defend the best point guard on the other team, the best shooting guard on the other team. So 
at a t- so that's that's why I'm going with Dante Jones at number 19. That's a solid pick. Uh, for 19th, I ended up picking a guy who was drafted 23rd by Portland instead. So for the Utah Jazz, I, sl- I selected Travis Outlaw. He was coming out of um, high school, but the issue with Portland was that he was uh, just he was put up really fast. He was expected to do, do a lot, but with a team like Utah jazz, they were already crowded in the forward position. So he would have had, huh? He was a power forward and a small forward, dude. No, but he, no, I'm saying he was an athletic freak back then. Like he was, Oh, he was. was Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. So he would have had a chance to develop a little bit more. And I think, uh, once, um, you know, uh, after a little bit of time when Darren uh, Williams was kind of uh, uh, taking over the team, uh, Darren Williams, Andre Karolinko, Outlaw, Boozer, and Okur, that would have been a stud of a lineup if he were able to develop properly. So that's who I had 19th going to Utah Jazz. And 20th to the Celtics, I picked the gem of this draft. So Celtics, I think they pick, ended up picking uh, Dante John, Jones that year. But I picked Nick Collison since Kendrick Perkins in my draft went 17th to the Suns. Um, bring, instead of trading, I think they ended up trading Kendrick Perkins and Marcus Banks um, for um, the Dante Jones and someone else at that year. So instead of that, bringing in a guy like Nick Collison, and if Jose Calderon was also drafted that year, then him, Jose Calderon, uh, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen, that would have been a really good lineup. So that's who I'm going with 20th. And I had Udonis Haslam at 20th. So let's let's okay. kind of speed this up for the last 10 of the first round. And oh, we're only this gonna... is when the draft gets good. I but know. yeah, go ahead. We're up, running up against the clock. So that's we'll, we'll speed up the last 10. But yeah, I agree with Udonis Haslam. I think he was always a good role player. I don't know if he's, he's been on a team for the last like, five years. I haven't seen him play. But I mean, when he was younger, he played. He was an important part of the... That especially the first Miami championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then at <clears throat> at number twenty one, I had Michael Petrus, uh, really good defender for his entire career and a good role scorer. So at twenty one, I and Michael P- Michael Petrus was around for close to a decade. So I'm yeah. gonna go Michael Petrus. We got a number twenty one. So twenty one for the Hawks. I have Luke Ritnauer picked over there. He was picked fourteenth. Uh, instead of Boris Diaw for uh, him to be picked, he, w- he was a pass-first guy on a team that had a shoot-first mentality. So he would have been a great uh, piece over there. And number 22, I have Steve Lake going to the uh, going to the Nets that year. So the Nets, I think they were back-to-back uh, finals um, a few years. Uh, I think it was after he was a year. No, two years after he was drafted, they were back-to-back in the finals. Lost to the Lakers and lost to the Spurs. But you know, he would not have been a starting point guard over there, but backing up a guy like Jason Kidd, uh, he would have made a great impact over there. Okay. Um, so what number am I on right now? You have to say 22nd. Who you have going so, to the Nets? So 22nd, I had Travis Outlaw. Um, mm-hmm. was the Cleveland Cavaliers thought he was going to be like that next dude, but he was just always a good role player, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Let's see. So now we got 23rd. So at Portland at 23rd, I had Carlos Delfino. Um, yes. <laughs> Carlos Delfino. Dude, I could never get over like the way his face looked. He had the, like, I'm sorry, but he had a very punchable face. 
Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I did not like looking at him. I did not like looking at him. Um, but he had a good season with the um, like his first couple of seasons weren't that good. But then he found a role with Toronto, played pretty well coming off the bench. He moved over to Milwaukee. He had some really good seasons with Milwaukee at Milwaukee, and then he finished up his NBA career with the Houston Rockets. But I think he w- he was like another good steady role player coming off the bench. So for Portland, I actually have the 10th overall pick that year uh, over here, uh, Jarvis Hayes. Um, the thing is that I, I think they went through a few different forwards that year, Ruben Patterson, Bonzi Wells, Darius Miles, and Quinnell Woods. And I think Jarvis would have had a little bit of time to develop. He made the all-rookie team uh, in the first year itself, averaging, I think it was 10 points per game on the first two seasons. If it weren't for the injury, he would have been a solid uh, solid wing going forward. So I have 23rd pick to Portland, Jarvis Hayes. 24th, uh, the Lakers, I, I forgot, who they ended up picking a guy, a Brian Cook. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. I think he played uh, only a few years. He wasn't that impactful. But instead of that, I'm going to get their Lakers 32nd pick that year, which is Luke Walton, um, and put him in there. And then 24th, I have Luke Walton over there. Okay. I, I had Luke Walton as well at number uh, 24, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then at number 25, I had Willie Green, another guy who was just a good role player. He played really well with Philadelphia, actually. That's where he got his start. And he actually, mm-hmm. he became a really good role player with Philadelphia. Um, then he kind of bounced around the league afterwards. Allen Iverson actually says that. Willie Green was vital for the, those Philadelphia 76ers teams when he was there. He was like that glue guy over there as well. So uh, I'm going to have Willie Green there. Good shooter, good role player, scoring option off the bench, play some defense. So I have uh, Willie Green at number 25. That's a solid pick. So with 25, I actually had Carlos Delfino going over here because uh-huh. Wade was picked uh, earlier on in the draft. And putting a sh- putting shooters around him just made a lot of sense to me. And uh, I think Delfino was picked over here uh, as well originally by Detroit Pistons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 25th, uh, uh, Carlos Delfino. 26th, I actually um, had uh, Willie Green going as well. Okay. Dope. So. so so I had Willie Green. So uh, they ended up picking – what was this, this guy's name? was Indubri Ebi, who uh, yeah. Timberwolves actually picked that year. And I think he played like uh, – what is it? 19 career games in total. So <laughs> instead of that, anybody would have been a good pick. But Willie Green, as you said, was a freak of an athlete. And um, he would have been a great pick over there. Honestly, dude, I, I would have no idea how we would do this if you we weren't keeping track of uh, what pick we're at. So, so we're at 26th. Yeah, we're at 26th. Yeah, I had Nick Collison going here. Um, oh, another so kind of like Udonis Haslam. He's, he was what Udonis Haslam was in Miami, just with Seattle. Steady role player. With yeah. Seattle, he was, he was good. He was a nice power forward, nice mm-hmm. big man over there. Um, really good leader, really good veteran. Like he did the intangibles. He was the intangibles guy. Like for the last few years of his career, he was that guy on the bench who was still important to a team for whatever reason. So I'm going to go with, um, Nick Collison at number 26 and then number 27. Um, I had Sasha Pavlovich, um, forward, uh, for the Cavaliers when he first started his career, he was over there. 
Well, I wouldn't say really good when we're getting down here. No, no, no. It's it's role players. We're getting to the average range, but he was he was one of the important role players for the Cleveland Cavaliers when they went to the finals with LeBron James the first time. Like he was a good defensive player. He um, shot the three, made some jump shots. Like he was a like throughout his career, he was he was a pretty good three point shooter. So I'm going to go with Sasha Pavlovich at number twenty seven. Yeah, no, twenty seven. So so twenty seventh, I actually had Zaza Pachip shots over here. Yeah. Um, so this was a pick by the Grizzlies. He was, he was originally picked forty second by Orlando, but the Grizzlies um, they ended up picking Kendrick Perkins on this pick and trading him away that night. But if you got a guy like Zaza Pachulia, he, you could have brought him in, and you know he's not going to be an, a, a stud offensively or anything like that. But uh, to kind of protect Pogus all that year, uh, he would have been a great asset. So that's who I had number twenty seven, number twenty eight. I had for the Spurs Darko Milicic. If there is any coach out there who can um, kind of mold a European player uh, to be uh, an absolute talent in the league, it would have been uh, Greg Popovich. Okay, so, so Darko, clearly there was there were some scouting reports that uh, warranted him being picked up that high. I wouldn't have picked him up number, uh, second overall, of course, but clearly people saw talent in him. Yeah, so please. exactly. That's the thing. So Greg Popovich would have been able to use that. And he was 17-year-old, uh, like, Serbian stud. Bring him in and ball, make him ball out. <laughs> That's a big pick. Um, so, yeah, I have 28, I had Zaza Pachulia. Mm-hmm. He had, like, a couple of years. He was a pretty serviceable starting big man. Um, yeah, and then he, like, for a good, like a good few years, he was a good uh, backup big man for just depth purposes. And then at 29, I had Marquise Daniels over here, undrafted. Mm-hmm. Had a little bit of a good stretch, a couple of few uh, few good years over there. Could score the ball. Wasn't, I mean, he wasn't really, he didn't really have a position, I'd say. Like, he wasn't really a good point guard. He wasn't really a great shooting guard. But he was able to score in burst. He was like a streaky scorer back when he played. Mm-hmm. So that was my 29. And my 29. I have for the Mavericks. I, I need a guy to pair with Dirk Nowitzki that year. So a guy like you know the Red Rocket, the Red Mamba, Matt Bonner. He was dude. He was shooting forty one percent from the three point line throughout his twelve uh, year career. So pairing him with Dirk Nowitzki that would have been very interesting. So that's who I have going twenty ninth. The White Twin Towers. Um, yes, sir. I'll finish up um, the first round. I'll take Darko Milicic's number 30. You can't take... I don't want Darko to fall out of the entire first round. So, so 30th, Dark- Darko? Yeah. Okay. I have... Let me see. James Jones going 30th. Oh, yeah. No, he has... Uh, he. Some may say he was the X-Factor for LeBron James throughout his career. So I'm going to go with James Jones. It's, it's funny how our podcast came full circle just like michael jordan never won until scotty pippen came lebron james never won until james jones came. Yeah, three-time nba champion james jones <laughs> put some respect on that name um, <laughs> so much real estate on one of his hand is taken by ranks it's crazy dude this boy but like dude it's nuts though like you look at this draft and we're gonna be getting like we're not gonna do the second round but 
everybody in the first round was serviceable. Yeah, notable names. Everybody knows the name. Anybody who knows NBA knows these names because they've left an impact. And like, there's still guys like I. I didn't have Keith Bogans yet. I didn't have Matt Bonner yet. Yeah. I didn't have James yet. Like, there are guys in the second round who are gonna go that they could. They they make good careers out for themselves. Oh, for you know? sure. Yeah. So, but anyways, that's probably gonna be the best draft we. Um, recap that's it we're pretty much done we're up against the clock yes sir com. your spot for the best basketball content on the web shop.ballandroll.com your place for the hottest basketball merch on the web this has been a long episode but we'll be back next week we're gonna drop another pod we'll talk some last dance again till next time Ooh.